Hi, this is Stuart Hardy with All In Sports Outreach, and I am so excited to share a new episode of our podcast with you. Today, you're going to hear from Coach Ben Pike. Coach Pike is currently a, a head football coach at a high school in the St. Louis, Missouri area. He's married to Ashley. They have a young son. Just an incredible testimony of God's faithfulness um, in his life and in the life of his, his family. Just an incredible young man of God making a difference today. So thankful for his, his boldness and his, his passion for Jesus. I can't wait for you to hear from his story. So let's jump right into it. Well, thanks for joining me today, Coach. Stuart, I appreciate you having me. I'm, I'm thrilled to be here and um, very honored that, that you reached out and, and had me come do this with you. You bet. So I'd like to start this off, though, just kind of lay the foundation of who you are. So tell us a little bit about yourself, maybe where you grew up, your, uh, your family growing up, and then a little bit about your family today. Yeah, so I'm originally from the Cleveland area, a uh, suburb east of Cleveland called uh, Mentor, Ohio. Pretty pretty big suburb there. Um, you know, it was a, a very good sports town growing up. I got to play um, for two Hall of Fame high school coaches in football and basketball. So um, had a great kind of foundation in my athletics with that. And then, um, you know, I had a great family life. Um, my dad uh, played uh, college basketball at Georgetown College in Kentucky. Uh, that's where he met my mom. Uh, my dad is a, a chemist and my mom is a teacher. And then I have a younger sister, Bethany, um, who she is in um, the healthcare field uh, now, and she's getting ready to get married in August. And um, so the, the family dynamic growing up was great. Um, uh, very loving, uh, very supportive. Uh, it was Christ centered. You know, my dad was uh, was a deacon growing up in the church. Um, his dad is a Baptist minister, still is. He's still he's still getting after it. At I think he's eighty four, eighty five now, and he's still preaching the good word. Um, so I, I I really had nothing but um, love and support growing up, and um, had two parents that that really loved the Lord. So you mentioned growing up in the church, um, but at what point did that? become a personal decision for you to have a relationship with Jesus? Yeah. So the time that, um, you know, I can vividly remember, you know, making that commitment was, um, now I do forget if it was Sunday night church or Wednesday night church, you know, <laughs> we were one of those, it was Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. So I know it was night. I don't remember if it was Sunday or Wednesday, but I was, I was eight. And I was doing things I wasn't supposed to be doing. I was laying down in the back pew of the church. I don't know where my parents thought I were, but I was just, I was looking up at the ceiling. And I remember the pastor preaching about the need of, uh, to confess your sins and bringing your sins uh, to God and laying them down before him. And I'm eight years old and I just felt this pull of, hey, I need, I need to do that. I didn't know what it was. But it's like, you know what, something's telling me to go do that. And, you know, after the church service, I got one of my parents and, you know, kind of told them what was going on. And they they took me down to the pastor's office and I made a, a commitment to faith uh, to follow Jesus um, that night and um, was baptized shortly afterwards. That's so awesome. I love that, um, especially having that conversation, um, with your parents. I know as a parent, that's a, that's a special moment. Um, one that I know 
I'll never forget with our own kids. And um, so, yeah, that's, that, that's cool. I love that. So, um, and we'll get back to your faith in, in a minute. I want to talk some, some sports. I mean, you played college football at Toledo. Um, yes. I don't know a lot about Toledo football other than I usually watch them come late October, November, because they get those Tuesday, Wednesday games that yeah, drive my wife nuts. Game. We went, we get them action games. So we're playing, you know, 9, 9 p.m. on a Tuesday night in DeKalb, yes. Illinois, somewhere. Um, yeah, so it's uh, it's Northwest Ohio. It's a um, it's kind of it's a city, but it's a college town. We're kind of the the biggest show in town, which was really cool um, to play there. Kind of being the main draw for all the people in the city, and it has great support. And it's it's turned out a lot of good um, prospects and guys in the NFL now. Um, but, you know, getting recruited there was, it was kind of by the hand of God that as well, you know, during my recruiting process, um, the first division one school that offered me was Eastern Michigan. And, you know, I kind of went through the recruiting process with everything. And, you know, I, I felt they were the first big school or division one school to, to take a, take a chance on me. And that, that meant a lot to me. So I ended up verbally committing to Eastern Michigan. And um, after the first round of the playoffs, um, my senior year, and I had had just a career game, one of the best uh, games of my entire football career, um, I got a call from the guy at Eastern Michigan that recruited me. And he called and told me that they were pulling my offer um, because they were wanting to bring in JUCO guys. And it's not uncommon for schools to offer somebody and then pull it, but it is very uncommon to pull it after a kid is verbally committed. Um, you don't hear about that often. And this is not the coaching staff at Eastern Michigan is totally different now. So I don't have anything against, you know, Eastern Michigan now, but um, that was for me, really, like I said, I had a pretty good family life. That was the first real kind of, you know, trying time of, Hey, I'm late into my senior year and, and I don't know where I'm going to go to school. Cause I was completely off the recruiting trail. I told all the other schools, like I'm done. I verbally committed. So to me, it was over and it was kind of like, okay, God, like, what are you, what are you trying to do here? Um, you know, thankfully he had, he had a plan the whole time. And, um, the coaches, some of the coaches that were at Bowling Green, which is another division one school, um, in Ohio that had recruited me there had just taken jobs at Toledo. So they were kind of behind on the recruiting trail. Um, so uh, recruiting coach there, Matt Campbell, who's now at Iowa state um, continued to recruit me at Toledo. And I formed a great relationship that I still have with him today. And uh, thankfully um, by the grace of God, ended up at Toledo. That's awesome. I love that. What position did you play? Defensive end. Defensive end. And so, you know, you had a, a good career there, but, you know, your, your football career ended unlike most. So talk about that decision that you made with one year left of eligibility to walk away from the game of football. Yeah, well, I have to go back a little bit to um, the, winter, <laughs> the winter semester of my freshman year, and I, I was lucky enough to uh, meet a girl named Ashley. 
and she played basketball at the University of Toledo, had actually just transferred there from another school. Um, and we met her at we met her at Athletes in Action, just like a Bible study for athletes mm-hmm. there. And um, just kind of instantly hit, uh, hit it off and, um, and fell in love uh, pretty quickly. I think I fell in love much quicker than she did. She was a little bit reluctant. Um, but I'm a, I'm a pretty good recruiter myself. So, um, <laughs> I pulled, <laughs> I got, I, I convinced her to, uh, you know, to keep giving me opportunities. So, um, fast forward a little bit to, uh, my junior year, which would have been my third year. So I got redshirted my first year. So my third year at Toledo, um, we're playing in the military bowl, uh, down in Washington, DC. And, um, I've decided that I, I'm going to propose to, uh, to Ashley and, uh, met a guy that actually had enough pull to get me behind the gate on the driveway of the white house. And, wow. uh, I, pr- I proposed on the driveway of the white house, which was just, and I, I teach history now, um, in government. So it was just, I mean, I was kind of nerding out. I, I loved it. Um, so got to do that. Uh, thankfully she said, yes. Um, and then the next day we went and won the military bowl against air force 42, 41. So it was a, it was a good couple of days for me. Um, so we're kind of, um, in the middle of, you know, being engaged and we're starting to plan a wedding and, and, uh, I traveled down to, um, St. Louis, which is where she's originally from, which is where I'm at now. And we're starting to look for, um, churches to, you know, possibly do our wedding ceremony at, and, you know, she had been attending this, this church, um, for quite some time. So we were looking at that and this is Easter Sunday. And, um, I really had the opportunity to watch, um, Ashley grow in her faith, um, quite a bit during our college years. And it was really cool to see that. Um, and she just kind of blossomed with it. And, um, she was a believer, um, but, had not uh, yet been baptized. And so that weekend, um, we kind of talked um, with uh, the pastor about um, getting married there. And then she actually, that weekend as well, uh, made the decision to, you know, um, follow Christ in believer's baptism. Um, so it started to get all that figured out. And that was, that was Easter weekend. And I fly back uh, to Toledo that uh, Sunday night and, I'm sitting in my house on Monday and um, I get a call from my mom and she goes, Ben, you need to, uh, you need to pack a bag and be ready to go to St. Louis. I'm like, what's going on? Uh, She's like, Ashley's in the hospital. Um, She's not doing well. He goes, me and my dad are, are, are," she said, me and your dad are working on getting you a flight out of Detroit, but, we don't know if we're going to be able to get you one in time. So pack a bag, be ready to drive if you need to drive. Um, so they're actually able to get me a flight out of Detroit. And um, now head coach, Matt Campbell, um, he drives me to the Detroit airport, which from Toledo is about 45 minutes away. Um, you know, got me there in time and, you know, I catch a flight out to St. Louis, still not really sure, you know, what's, what's going on. And, um, 
you know, I get picked up by an airport and just, it's funny how God works. The pastor at my very first church who I made a commitment to follow Christ to had actually moved to the St. Louis area and picked me up from the airport. And I hadn't seen him in probably 10 years. Wow. 10, 15 years. It had been a long time since I'd seen him. Picked me up to the airport and um, drove me to the hospital to where she was at. And I walk in and, you know, she's hooked up to whole bunch of ventilators and different tubes and stuff going in there and she's you know not not awake she doesn't know I'm there and you know finally wakes up and you know we get to um get to the next day and um doctor comes in and you kind of know you know if you've ever been through something like this when they walk in you just know it's not good um and he said uh Ashley you've you have AML leukemia, um, acute myeloid leukemia. Um, if you know um, the famous sideline basketball reporter, Craig Sager, um, who just passed away not too long ago, same type of cancer he had. Um, so, you know, when you hear the words cancer, everything just kind of stops, um, you know, and the one thing that I'll remember about that day, because, you know, I'm, you know, this, this is, we got, we got engaged December of 11 and this is April of 2012. So newly engaged, um, you know, excited about, you know, coming married and doing all those things. And, you know, the world just kind of stops, but I'll never forget. She looked at me and she said, I'm so glad it's me and not you. Mm. And, you know, to in that, that time, I mean, it hadn't been five minutes since she found that out for her to have, you know, that type of heart and love for me um, was something that was just really unbelievable. Um, so we kind of, you know, doctors set forth a plan and, you know, there was many times, you know, those first couple of days because she essentially she had an infection within her bloodstream is why she initially went into the hospital, which is very scary, um, especially when you're dealing with this type of cancer. So there was a couple nights there at the beginning. It was very touch and go um, nights where she's fighting for breath. Not, I wasn't sure if she was going to make it through the night. Um, so very, very tough, but doctors kind of put together treatment and said, Hey, you know, we're going to try to get this with just, just chemotherapy. And so they start putting her, you know, kind of on that regimen. Well, I have to, I'm still in school, right? So I, I have to go back to Toledo. Um, you know, I'm, I'm still playing, going to school, traveling to see her on weekends when I can, you know, um, doing some of my student teaching as well. So um, things are just, they're, they're kind of crazy, but um, you know, and you deal with all those emotions of, of going through, you know, what does this look like? God, why are you doing this? You know, not really sure, like why now, why us, um, type of very, you know, typical questions. And especially um, when you're, I mean, you're just planning a wedding. Yeah. And it was, and that's all we were looking forward to. And again, this was, probably the first time in either one of our lives that our, our faith had truly been tested, you mm -hmm. know, 
yeah, I, I grew up, I didn't have any real hardships, things like that. And, um, like you said, life was, life was good. And this was the first time it was like, okay, is this faith that I've, I've claimed to have had all these years, is it real or is it just me saying that I have it? You know, there comes a time in everybody's life, their faith journey that you have to own your faith. And Mm -hmm. this was my time and this was her time to do that. And so we kind of wrestle with that and, okay, we're going to, God, we're going to trust you and we're going to stay as positive as we can and, and power on. And, um, so she gets into remission and, you know, is doing better and starts going back to teaching. She's actually able to come see me play a few games. Um, you know, uh, she's able to come to the Idaho potato bowl and all that. And so she's, she's on her, on her way to recovery and things are going well. And, you know, I'm getting ready to, you know, thinking about, um, going into my fifth year, um, at Toledo, you know, starting to get ready for the season. And so this is January leading into that. Um, and so one night I went out to uh, dinner with some of my guys and I'm trying to call her and text her and she's not, she's not responding, which is not like her. And I just get this very weird feeling in my stomach and Later that night, there's a knock on our front door and I open the door to my parents who mm. they live two and a half hours away. And as soon as they, I opened the door and I saw them, um, I knew what it was. And she had relapsed um, and the cancer had come back. And so obviously just devastated, um, just went through, um, you know, all these emotions, um, you know, helping her fight through that, being there for as much as I can and watching her you know, anybody that has seen a loved one go through cancer, you know, especially this type of blood cancer, they take you to the doorstep of death and they bring you back. Um, so to watch her almost be taken to, to death in order to be healed and then knowing that she's going to have to do it again, um, it was just, it was gut-wrenching. And so at that point, um, I decided, you know, I'd, I'd, bigger things to do than play football. Mm. So I decided at that point that I needed to finish up my last semester at Toledo, get my degree, um, go down there and be with my, be with my fiance. And that's what I decided to do. And, you know, a lot of people are like, wow, that was, you know, you know, such a courageous decision or, you know, it must've been a hard decision for you to make. And to be honest, it was one of the easiest decisions I've ever made. You know, football is great. And I love everything about football. Um, you know, I wasn't giving up a, an NFL career. I wasn't foregoing millions of dollars to do this. Um, you know, I, I was a, I was a solid, decent college football player. Um, but going and being with the woman that I've committed to spend the rest of my life with, that's what I wanted to do. And that's what I knew I needed to do. And so I did that and I graduated from Toledo moved down there and, you know, this step of the cancer, they're going to give her chemo and they're going to give her a stem cell transplant. Um, so you have to wait for a donor. Um, there was no perfect match within her family. So we have to wait for an unrelated donor, which you never know how long that may take. So they have to completely deplete her immune system and just keep her there until, you know, until they can find a donor and you don't know how, how long that is. And 
you know, the first time around she was in the hospital for 40 straight days, never left. The second time around she ended up being in the hospital a little over 40 straight days, never leaving. And just to watch her battle that again and again and again. And I never once heard her complain. Wow. And to see how God not only grew us in that time as a couple with him was truly remarkable, but then how God starts to use this tragic event in your life to start to reach other people. Mm. And, um, the story actually started to get some national attention. It got picked up by a local paper in my hometown. Um, the story was ran on Valentine's day. And so it starts to pick up some national attention. I'm doing some interviews. I get to do an interview with Jim Rome, which was super cool. Um, so he had me on talking about it. Um, but it was just an opportunity for me to let people know that, yeah, we're going through these hard times, but our faith is 100% leaning on Jesus and we're going to trust him to get us through this. And we know that once he brings us through this, not only will we be stronger as a couple, our relationship with him is going to be better and that this is all going to come he's brought all this to us because it's going to glorify his kingdom in the long run. And that was kind of our goal is how can we take this opportunity, this situation that we've been in, you know, while I'm watching her fight for her life. And as she's, she's doing everything she can to survive, how can we glorify the kingdom during this time? And that was kind of like our focal point, like our, our little motto became faith, not fear. Right? We're not going to be afraid of, of what this has in store for us. We know who has us and we know where our faith lies. And, you know, it was just really, really cool um, to see God work through um, these tra- this, this kind of tragedy in our lives. And we had so many people that stepped up and, and supported us in prayer and you know, sending us gift cards to get food and eat. That was the coolest. It really kind of, not that I had lost faith in humanity, but it really just kind of reinforced that people are good mm-hmm. right? and they want to, they want to help people. And, it, you know, I could, I could sit up here for three hours and talk to you about just the people that helped us out. But, you know, thankfully um, they were able to find a, um, a perfect match for her and she's able to get the transplant. And so she starts her road back to recovery and I'm moved out there and I've got a teaching job and coaching job there. And I'm loving that. And, you know, we have her, you know, obviously that's a, it's a long, it's a long road to recovery, but she gets in remission um, over a year. And that's a big milestone, right? Because, you know, once that's like the first big one, the year, Okay, after the year, it significantly drops of, hey, this is going to come back um, for this type of cancer. And you know, we're kind of going along and she's um, she goes in for a bone marrow biopsy. And basically a bone marrow biopsy is they drill a hole in your back. Mm-hmm. And it's a very <laughs> it's not a comfortable procedure, to say least. And through all these processes, she's had over 30 of them. Um, so she's by far the toughest person I've ever met in my life to just endure all that. Um, but 
gets another bone marrow biopsy. This is in August. Um, and the doctor calls and it's back again. Mm. And so she, she gets it for a third time. Um, we have not to this day, um, met somebody that has survived this type of leukemia three times. Um, I hope I do someday. I'm sure they're out there. I've not, I've not, we've not met one of them yet. Um, I look forward to the day that we can. So, um, we kind of, we kind of knew that, um, going in this one, um, for me, and I think my wife would say the same, this was the hardest one. Um, this is the one where I got, I got mad at God. I got angry at God, had a lot of questions because, you know, to me, it was like, God, what do you, what do you want from us? Mm. Right. We, we've proven to you or haven't we proven to you that we're going to stay faithful to you. You've given this to us twice now and we've persevered. We've kept the faith and we've tried to glorify you through all of this. Why in the world are you having us go through this a third time? And I, I was very, I was very, very mad. I was angry. Um, and I think, I think that's okay. I, I don't know that, you know, that upsets God. Um, but it was part of my process of having to work through all of this, you know, and now we're married. So in between the second and the third time, we're able to get married and have a, you know, we just have a, a huge basically celebration of life. And it's a, you know, it's a wedding to end all weddings. It was, it was phenomenal. Um, so now it becomes a different shift of I'm no longer fiance, I'm husband. Mm-hmm. And that does change things. And it's a different burden, but you now have this stress of, you know, we're dealing with these emotions of, of angry with God. And I think that was more on me than it was on, mm-hmm. she wasn't quite having those emotions. It was for her, she was, she just felt emotionally spent and physically mm-hmm. spent. She had spent so much energy trying to get through this. And, you know, this is the time where I kind of learned what it meant when, when it talks about in, in the Bible that you, you pray without ceasing and what that actually work looks like that, you know, all throughout my day, all I was, all I was talking to God about was this. And I was working through those emotions of anger at first. Why are you doing this? What could possibly be the purpose? Haven't we fulfilled what you wanted us to do? To, okay, God, we're going to go at it again. Let's go at it again. And, you know, this is tough. I don't know why, but I'm still, we are still going to do our best to remain faithful. And it was that constant prayer that, whether it was just in my car driving, walking through the schools, uh, the halls at school, that it was just constantly, it was kind of this ongoing conversation. Uh, that I was having with God. And, you know, thankfully, um, he's true to his word and he, he does give you strength. And I think this third time was really the time, and my wife could speak better for her, but it was truly when I said, take everything. I'm, ju- I'm, I'm truly, I'm fully putting all of my worries, all my cares, all my doubts on you, because I can't, I can't do this again. I can't watch the person I love die again. 
Mm. I can't watch her be taken to death again. And so it was me finally surrendering, I think, fully everything that I just felt a, a true weight lifted off my shoulders. And I just felt his presence of him say, be still and I, I got you. Like, we, you're going to get through this. I'm going to carry you through this. And you're going to see the results from it on the back end. Um, thankfully, um, she went through. So this time it was chemotherapy and uh, radiation and now a stem cell tra uh, transplant. Another 40 days um, in the hospital without going home, completely wiping out her immune system. Um, you know, praise the God. Um, she, we, her sister uh, is a half donor and they started to do some, some treatments with her. Uh, or, I'm, I'm sorry. There were some studies done that said sibling donors that are half matches are better than unrelated donors that are full matches. Mm. So they decided to go with that. Her sister donates. Um, and, you know, thankfully now almost, it'll be six years now in August that she's been in remission. So, um, truthfully, God is, is, he's good to his word. And, you know, there's just so many other parts of the story, you know, that I could, we could sit on here and I could talk to you about for hours and hours of, you know, you know, all the difficult times that, that he brought us through, um, and the different people and, and the unsung hero in this whole story is Ashley's mom, Patty, mm. um, all three hospital stays, um, she never left that hospital one day she stayed and she's a registered nurse and she stayed with her every single day, every single night. Um, and I truly be, believe without her mother, um, Ashley wouldn't be here. Um, mm. and you know, it's, it's just amazing to see how God takes your lowest point that, that you have and, and through it, he's gonna, he's gonna bring you through it. He's gonna make you you're stronger with in your relationship with him and he's going to glorify the kingdom, his kingdom because of it. And, and we've just seen nothing but that, you know, ever since that her first time being diagnosed to her last time to, to now almost six years, six years later. Wow. <laughs> I'm usually not short on words, but man, that's a, it's just a powerful testimony. And I'm sure that's just a 35,000 foot view um, you know, and I'm sure there, there is a lot more to share. Um, one question has popped in my mind. You, you talked about, you know, wrestling with your faith, but also, you know, how strong it was to, to cling to Jesus through the whole time and the platform that God gave you as well. So is there a scripture that you was like your go-to during, during that period that you just, um, got you through it. Yeah. And, um, is Rome, it's a very famous one. It's Romans eight twenty eight, mm -hmm. which it's famous for a reason. Um, so it's, and we know that in all things, God works for, uh, the good of those who love him, who have been a called, uh, called according to his purpose. And there's, there's two key parts of that. Um, the first one is in all things, Mm. Our pastor has a, he calls this the, the chocolate chip cookie verse. And I love that because what he says is when you go to make a chocolate chip cookie, there's some really good ingredients like the sugar and the, the brown sugar and the chocolate chips. And those takes, taste really good by themselves. And then you have the things like 
um, the flour and the vanilla that you put in there, that if you were to just taste those things on their own, they're pretty terrible tasting. But you put them all together and, you know, you get put in the fire of, of trials and God brings out this delicious chocolate chip cookie. And he's taking those good and those bad ingredients. You come out with something great. It's the same thing here. He doesn't just take good things. He doesn't just take bad, both, all things, mm-hmm. all things. Um, and then the second part are those who love him and be called according to his purpose. So but you have to love him and you have to be called according to the, his purpose for, um, for, for that, for that verse to be fulfilled. And so that was, we're like, okay, uh, we know we love Jesus. Uh, we've been called by him and we're in a bad time. And we're just hoping that God takes this bad time and he helps to make one really good chocolate chip cookie out of it. Um, and he certainly did. And so that was, that was really the verse um, that we clung to was, was Romans eight twenty eight. That's awesome. And I would imagine um, you have a totally different perspective than most guys that are high school football coaches on um, the importance of football versus, you know, the, the bigger picture. So I was going to ask you um, as a head football coach in the St. Louis area where, you know, it doesn't matter where you are in the United States. If you're a head football coach at the high school level, it's a big deal. So obviously your faith is a big piece of who you are, but going through what you and your wife went through, how does that guide your coaching philosophy, if you will, of how you tackle being a head coach? Well, you know, faith is is a huge part of my everyday life and you know, I try to bring that to, to coaching as well. And, you know, being at a public school, it's a, it's a little bit different dynamic. Um, you know, I can't just come out and, you know, start, you know, quoting, you know, scripture after scripture. So, you know, what I take, what I try to do, um, first, first of all, I, I try to love all my kids. Um, and I think that's one of the biggest things you can do is you just show love. I try to, um, you know, I try to tell them, at the end of every practice uh, that I'm proud of them and that I love them and high schoolers, they get at first, they get kind of weirded out when you tell, when you say, Hey, I love you. Right. They're kind of weirded out by it. But over time, you know, they start to say it back and it starts to mean something. And, you know, this past year was my first year as head coach. And I made a point, you know, after, after every game, win or lose, I want to, I wanted to go up to every single one of my players and I wanted to hug them and I wanted to tell them, that I loved them. You Mm. know, for me, you know, that's love is the greatest way that we can show the love of Jesus is to, you know, to love one another. But I also understood that that may be for some of my kids, the only time they hear somebody tell them that they love them. Right. A lot of, a lot of kids may, may not get an, I love you from mom or dad at home. You know, a lot of them may, you know, not have never heard that from somebody. So, and I don't necessarily know who those kids are. So I wanted to make a point. I want, I'm going to hug every one of these kids and I'm going to tell them I love them. Now, post Corona, that, Corona, that may change a little bit. It may have to be like a fist bump and I love you or something. But if I can get back to hugging, I'm going to get back to hugging. Um, so the first one is just loving my kids. And I think any good coach, you know, that's what they want to do. Um, the second thing I try to do is I try to take biblical principles and I don't know if twist them is the right word, but put them and tell them in a way that 
can be good for for everybody in my public school. Um, so, for example, kind of our team motto this year was I die daily. And that was just taken from biblical principles of, hey, if you're if you are called to follow Christ, you're going to be asked to die to yourself, your selfish ambitions, and you're going to be asked to do fulfill the will of God, not your will, not what you think is best for you, but what God thinks is best for you. Um, and so the idea was, hey, I, I don't really care, or you shouldn't really care about your individual goals. Your the idea is those things should die every single day to what's uh, the good of the team. And so it was, it's taken those kind of biblical principles and put them in a way that they can take them, they can apply them to their daily life. And then when I get an opportunity to talk with a kid one-on-one and they ask, hey, coach, what, is, what does that mean? Where do, you, where do you kind of get that from? That then gives me the opportunity, you know, to say, okay, this is, this is a part of scripture here's what it means. So that's kind of the best way I have found to, to kind of implement my faith within my coaching. That's good. And for any coach that's listening, I, mean, I, I love that. Um, you know, especially in the public school arena, depending on what part of the country you're in, there's a lot more restrictions in some areas and, and not, but there is, I love that, um, that motto, I die daily. Cause that's a incredible way to start conversation too. And then, Clearly to bring them back to the Bible. And I am very blessed. I'm in a place that um, is very receptive to those things. You know, I've had, you know, I've, I've had, you know, one-on-one, I've, I've sat down and prayed with my principal of my school. Mm. Um, so it is a, it is an open place, but you know, there's, you know, you still have to, you know, be a little bit careful of, you know, you have all different types of kids and, and things like that. So I am very blessed that I'm in a place that that's pretty receptive, like at our banquet, you know, I kind of talked about that, where I got that from and kind of the verses in the Bible I talked that from, and I don't get any pushback from that. So I'm very fortunate in that fact. That's good. But even, you know, even those that are in an area that maybe have a little more resistance, I mean, that's still a good example of taking those biblical principles sure. and applying them and, you know, just getting conversation. Because once a kid asks, you know, it's, sure. Absolutely. it's, it's wide open. So that's good. Um, one part of the story that you did not tell yet, I want to, I want to hear, um, <laughs> you and your wife now have a little son, we do. um, which is unbelievable to me is yeah. one of the most unbelievable parts of the story, given what you've been through. So, so just to tell us about that. Yeah. So that is a recent development. Um, he just turned one last month, actually, well, March 18th. So a little, just over a month ago, he turned one. Uh, he is adopted. Um, and, um, if that's just not God fulfilling, uh, his promises, you know, I don't, I don't know what is. And, you know, obviously through all that, we weren't sure, you know, if we were going to be able to have kids or if we were kind of what that would look like. And, you know, yeah, we actually were able to be there in the hospital when he was born. Um, and my wife actually got to be in the delivery room. Um, Mm. and we're just so thankful for that. And, um, he's just awesome. And, you know, I think adoption too is just such an awesome picture of the, of the gospel, right? We're all children of God. We've all been adopted into his family. Um, and so I just think that that's so cool that we can kind of, um, mimic that with our own family and choosing this route of adoption and, 
Um, his name's Barrett, uh, Barrett Jacob Pike. And so Barrett was, uh, is actually my wife's maiden name. And then Jacob, um, is actually my, my parents actually, um, their oldest child, they, they lost shortly after he was born. Mm. Um, and his name was Jacob and he would have been my, he would have been my older brother. So, um, it was a very meaningful name to us and, uh, he's awesome and he's keeping us super busy and, um, running around like crazy now. So, um, I just, I couldn't be happier to, to have him. That is so awesome. Especially, I mean, I just, to me, that's just a bow on the whole testimony, right? You know, of all the trials you went through and to now have a little boy is just, yeah, that's unbelievable. We are, we are so blessed and, and you kind of just, you know, when you sit back and, and we sit back and think about it and try to, you know, just from the very beginning, it's just like, it's like, wow, look how far God has brought us. Look how faithful he has been. And look at the fruits that he has provided because of it. And it's just, you know, it's, it's remarkable anytime, you know, me and my wife, we, we sit and think about it. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. So let me ask you, I mean, being a head coach is, is a lot. Um, you know, it doesn't matter where, where you live. It's, it's, it's a big demand. And so how do you balance that with being a husband and a dad? Well, uh, let me start by saying I, I just finished up my first year as head coach. So there is a whole bunch that I don't know yet. Um, <laughs> I'm still trying to, I'm still trying to figure it out. I kind of, you know, flew by, I see my pants sometimes, um, this first year and, um, but it was good. You know, it is tough. Um, and kind of what we try to do, you know, I want to make sure that, you know, my staff and myself, we have time for family. So, um, you know, I've listened to a couple of your podcasts and, you know, I think us coaches, we try to do things pretty similar of, of giving guys time off. And for us, what has worked is for our walkthrough on Thursdays, we go in the morning. Um, so we practice before school. Um, you know, we start at um, 545, you know, it's a walkthrough and we, we wrap up by seven o'clock and get them to class. That then allows, you know, our guys, our coaches and our players to go home right after school on Thursday, you get to spend some time with your family. If you want to go out to eat and go out to eat. I actually like it, you know, the day before game, it kind of allows you to decompress from the week of practice and make sure everything's kind of in line. And Mm -hmm. so that Thursday has always been real big for us, the Thursday morning practice. Um, uh, Friday nights afterwards, um, you know, I know some coaches, they stay and they, they start to break down the film from, that night and for me I'm emotionally spent um I'm a former D lineman so I I coach with my emotions and I I might burn as many calories on Friday nights as my guys playing um as much for running and, and hollering and stuff that I do so by the time a Friday night game is over I'm I'm emotionally spent and I'm physically spent um so we typically uh we'll go out and, and get some wings or, or something like that and just kind of um, decompress a little bit. And then we come back in Saturday morning and we'll typically work from seven and I try to get them out, you know, by one, one And then for me, what I do is I kind of use two o'clock on Saturday to two o'clock on Sunday as my full day off that 24 hours where I'm detaching. I'm going to spend time with my with family. That's when me and my wife will have our date nights. And she knows that she knows when I get back, 
you know, that's kind of what, what we're doing. I'm not going to work on any football stuff. So I kind of use it almost as like, you know, a Sabbath, that 24 hours, that day of rest mm -hmm. that I throw in there. Cause that then allows me to, in the morning, do church and get back and then, you know, come two o'clock on Sunday afternoon, we're working again, all from home um, and huddle and, you know, all the technology you have makes that easier to do. But from huddle, uh, from two o'clock till probably about 11 o'clock on Sunday night, I'm working again. That's awesome. I love that Thursday night though. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. And that two, that, that 24 hour period, I think that's key. Um, yeah, and I, I always make sure it's 24 hours. I want to give myself and my family a solid 24 hours where I know and they know I'm not, I'm not doing any football stuff. That's awesome. I love that. Um, so we talked about this a few minutes ago about, um, you know, the role your, your faith plays, but what would you say to a student athlete or a coach um, if there's anything you'd like to add um, to that, that wants to use their platform of athletics to be bold in their faith, how would you encourage them? Um, you know, it can be tough. And I, I think especially for, uh, for young people and even adults, um, taking a step out and, and taking a risk of where that's being made fun of or being thought of as different, uh, that can be hard sometimes. But you know, I, I think if you if you study scripture and read, um, you know, we're all, it talks about you have to bear your cross, right? And um, in this faith walk, you're going to be left with some scars, and that's okay. And you know, I, I tell people, hey, if you've if you've ever been then if you've ever been made fun of or ridiculed a little bit for your faith, you're doing it the right way. Um, if nobody knows you're a Christian and nobody treats you any differently, um, you, you may be doing something a little bit wrong. Um, so I think it's okay to know, you know, that, that sometimes that's okay, but that understanding the mission that God has called us to, he's called us to make disciples. And that means going out and, and talking with other people and, and talking to them about the gospel and living the gospel in your day-to-day -day life. And, you know, you got to start small, you know, start with, you know, the people that you're really close with and um, j just trying to, to show them the gospel. And it can be tough, but it gets easier the more that you do it. Um, and then make sure we're not perfect. Nobody is. And we're going to make mistakes. Um, but trying to live as godly life as you can. Um, and when you do mess up, being able to own those mistakes mm. um, and ask for forgiveness, um, you know, I'm not perfect. All the things that, you know, we, uh, me and my wife went through, there was, you know, I had some dark times where, you know, I, I, I struggled with, um, you know, maintaining that faith and, you know, understanding that we have a gracious and forgiving and merciful, uh, Lord is, is huge. Um, so I think keeping that in mind that you don't have to be perfect, but when you do mess up, um, own it, uh, admit to it and then and confess of those and um, ask for forgiveness. And um, God is, um, he's faithful to forgive every single time. That's good. I like that. Um, owning mistakes. I mean, that's not, that's hard. It is. It's uh, and, especially you know, today's think, culture. Yeah. And I, I think especially, you know, if, if people know you're a Christian um, they hold you to a different standard and that's, that's good. They should, 
you know, Christians should be held to different standards than the rest of the world, but it does put pressure on feeling that you have to be perfect. Um, you should strive to be, but you're not going to. Um, so you, you have to kind of check your ego sometimes and, you know, not only ask her for forgiveness from, uh, from God and, and Jesus, but, you know, ask forgiveness of others that, that you may have, have wronged and they're going to, you know, they may not forgive you because they may say, well, you know, you're just a hypocrite. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, we're Christians, we're all hypocrites because we all sin. Um, but just understanding that, that God forgives. That's right. That's good. That's good. So two words in sports, it's really big, um, all in, and we don't have to get into, you know, what that means, but he even actually hit on how Jesus calls us, uh, to be all in. You talked about bearing your cross and, uh, denying yourself. But I want to ask this from a practical standpoint on a daily basis. What does that look like for you to be all in in your walk? Well, it starts um, with getting in the word. I think that has to be the foundation. And, um, you know, I've tried different things over the years, whether it's, you know, staying up and reading before bed or, you know, trying to get it done, you know, during the lunchtime. You know, I found for me, um, it's got to be early morning. Um, so um, I actually like to um, get into school and do it. Mm. Um, so I can get in as early as five o'clock um, to my school and to my office. So I like to get in there and I know nobody's there. I, I like knowing I'm the only one in the building. And I know for an, a solid hour um, before I start having players come in, um, I have me and God have that time and to just read and to pray and, um, to just have that time of meditation. So, um, starting off my day like that, um, has really, really helped. Um, and I think a lot of people like that. I think a lot of people have to read in the morning to kind of get started on that right foot. And it's good because I'll highlight a verse or two and I'll try to, okay, today I'm, I'm going to kind of, you know, repeat this verse in my head and kind of that helps keep me centered. So mm -hmm. I think it starts with building those good habits and, you have to get in a habit of, of doing those things. And it's not because it's a checklist thing or, you know, Oh, I got that done. Check, move on. But once you get in that routine and you start doing it over and over and over, um, it really starts to build a good foundation uh, of, of how you, what your daily life life looks like and your daily walk uh, with Jesus. That's good. I'm with you. I'm an early morning person. I, I've tried the nighttime. I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. I know I've got no. friends that are night owls and it works for right. them. But for me, I can tell throughout my day right. what that early morning was like. Right. And you then know, I think of, too, yeah. And for me, then it's fresh in my mind and then it's easier for me to put it out in application. Right. It's like, yeah. okay, I read this in, in scripture today. So I'm, I'm going to try to go out and, and live this. Um, and I think that's kind of the second step of it is, is, um, you know, how do we put it into practice? It's great to have this head knowledge, but how does that change our heart? How does that change the way we love people? How does that change the way we treat people? Um, and how does that change the way we live our daily lives and in our relationship with him? So, um, just that, that reading in the morning gets it started on the right foot and then transferring it out, uh, through the day. You said something there that I've been 
um, thinking about a lot, um, just kind of going on this little journey of what does it mean to truly know Jesus? Um, because I know a lot of people probably read the Bible more than me. Um, but a lot of it's head knowledge. Um, and it is good to know in the head. Don't get me wrong, you know, but you know, I, I'm a simple person. So to me, it, you know, I break it down and, you know, you, you can know him biblically, um, you know, the theological pieces, but if you don't have the personal relationship, which gets into that question of how does it change how I live? That's right. more of that personal relationship, truly knowing Jesus, because if I'm just getting head knowledge, it's not going to mean a hill of beans on how I live. Right. And that's why I'm so thankful for, you know, when it talks about, you know, the process of sanctification, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't have, you know, a salvation story where, you know, I had hit rock bottom and I completely changed my life around, you know, like I said earlier, I, I was saved when I was eight years old. Um, so was I necessarily this awful, terrible person at eight that I completely turned away from? No, I was a sinner. Yes. But, um, right. So just to see through my life that God has been true, that, that sanctification process, that step by step, he's going to draw us closer to him and he's going to make us more like him. For me, for somebody that has grown up in the church, and I think probably a lot of people that may listen to this, this podcast are probably in that same boat. They may think, oh man, I don't have one of these like incredible testimonies where, you know, I completely turned my life around and came to Jesus. And I, I used to struggle with that. When I started to learn more about that sanctification process and how God through our lives, if we're faithful in our relationship with him and reading the word that he is going to make us more like him each and every day has been something that, you know, has given me a lot of encouragement through the years. That's good. That's good. That's a good reminder because I like you grew up in the church and, you know, went through those similar home of his insecurities or thoughts of, you know, you'd have somebody step up and share their testimony, especially when you hit the teenage years. And it's so dramatic, yeah. you know, and mine is very similar to yours. Right. Um, and so you start, you start questioning, you know, is mine real, you know, because I didn't face this dark, deep right. rock bottom, you know, to find out that I needed this Jesus. Um, so um, but yeah, I think understanding, like you said, that, that process is, yeah. is, is important. That's good. I like that. Well, and somebody finally said to me, they go, well, praise God. You didn't have to go through something awful to find him. Right. And I was like, that makes a lot of sense. It I'm does, but it's not a cool story, right? <laughs> you know, you know, it's, it's, you, you want that story if, if you will, but you know, and that's one of the things I love about you know, being a part of this podcast is it just drives home the point that every one of us has a story, mm-hmm. you know, just and all of our stories are different, but we all have one, you know, right. and it's just a, an exercise that we all need to share our story. And I think the more we share it, it is a reminder that it doesn't have to be someone else's story. It's, it's my story. You have Absolutely. your story. I have my story. And I think, right. and I think that to me is, is very important to, to understand. Yeah. Good stuff, man. Hey, I appreciate it. Um, I enjoyed hearing more about um, your testimony. I know we talked on the phone recently, but hearing more about, I intentionally didn't hear much about the story of your, your, your <laughs> wife because I wanted, I wanted it to be fresh for me as sure. well. So um, that was good. It really um, changed the whole me coming into this podcast. It kind of yeah. changed 
how I thought it would go, but man, I love it. I think I know I was encouraged. I got a ton of notes, and I know everybody listening is as well. Thank you to Ben for his willingness to jump on and to to give you a glimpse into his story. Just an incredible testimony of trusting God and living out Romans eight twenty eight that in all things work together for the good that those that love Him are called according to His purpose. Just an amazing, amazing testimony. And it just, I know, encouraged me and, and encouraged you as well as you, as you listened. Um, as I sit here and try to recap this, I'm still trying to process all of this. And um, so I'm just going to keep this, this brief. It's just a a great reminder that no matter what's going on, that we have to lean on Jesus 100% of the time. And that, you know, bearing our cross is not always easy, but God is always there. We serve a faithful and a loving God. And truly, Romans eight twenty eight lived out in this couple's life. That all the good and all the bad is being used for God's glory. You know, he talked about in the Scripture and prayer daily should change the way we live. That how we live every day should be different because we're spending time in the Word. So I would encourage you to lean on Jesus 100%. That means walking through the difficult times with Jesus. It means a commitment to live it out every day and being in the Word and spending time with Jesus. So thank you again to Ben for encouraging me. And I know he encouraged many. I'd ask you to share this with somebody. There's somebody in your life I know that could use some encouragement. So share them the, the Ben's testimony. and I, I know it, it will encourage them. Um, thank you for listening Thank you for your support and your prayers. And, you know, we always love to hear from you. So go on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, type in All In Sports Outreach and um, find out who we are, why we do what we do. And you send us a message. We'd love to, we'd love to hear from you.